Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. If you are new here, my name is Paris Brinkevich, and I am the creator and host of the Crooked Illness podcast, where we get into all things health-related. The primary focus of the podcast within the umbrella of health-related topics is mental health and mindset. I began Crooked Illness as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for starting Crooked Illness stems from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I decided to start Crooked Illness to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. I offer my perspective on the work I've done and how it inspired me to begin this podcast. Along with this perspective, I also speak about my personal experience with mental health and how I use those experiences to help educate, inspire, and motivate others. I really enjoy doing interviews and connecting with people who also love to discuss and learn more about mental health. If you would like to learn more, become a guest, or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or to my email of crookedillness at gmail.com. Hey guys, so today's episode is going to be all about mental health journalism. My guest today told me about the incredible work he has been doing and has done related to this. And the reason I wanted to do this episode is because you guys know you guys know how jacked I get whenever I have a conversation about mental health and the reasons it's important. And also my guest is going to be sharing some of his own personal experiences with being hospitalized and how his experiences there encouraged him to share his story and interview others about their experiences. As you guys know, I was hospitalized myself at 19 years old shortly after I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. I feel like sharing my experience related to this is important because the more we talk about this, the better others can understand it. To tell you guys the truth, a lot of the experiences I had while I was hospitalized for those two weeks are what has added to the passion I have for mental health and for having conversations circulating around mental health, mental illness, and mindset. And the work my guest is doing is pivotal in working toward reforming certain aspects of mental health care. I'm also excited to have him on today to get into the relationship trauma plays in relation to mental health struggles as well. We had a conversation about a piece he is working on where he discovered a stronger relationship among those he interviewed and traumas they spoke of. So we're going to be getting into that in this episode. And I just wanted to let you guys know that the reason I wanted to do this episode is because he is going to be getting into his experiences as working in journalism, reporting on mental health related topics, as well as his own personal experiences with his struggles he faced with his mental health and how that played a part in him transitioning over from what he's currently working on and what his current job is into the field of journalism and reporting on mental health. And I also was really excited to bring this to you guys because after the conversation that he and I had before we recorded the episode and just hearing him talk about the work that he has done where he has gone into various different mental mental hospitals and conducted research there done interviews there and just kind of trying to to see the relationship between things things going on inside these hospitals because of the experiences that he had that were not good during the time that he was hospitalized and just kind of sharing his story, bringing that to light and letting others know about what that was like and really just, you know, educating people who don't really know a lot about 
mental health and things like that. And I thought that was awesome. And I'm very excited to bring him on today. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. All right. Bye. Hey guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Crooked Illness. As you guys can see from today's title, we are going to be talking about reporting on mental health, what that is and what it means. Here to have this conversation with me is Michael Simonson. Michael is someone I have been lucky to connect with through a friend of mine. He is a mental health journalist and a freelance public relations representative. Michael is joining me today to get into what his role as a reporter comprises of, what it has been like so far, and what prompted him to get into this type of work. So without further ado, welcome Michael to the podcast. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I just uh, put some peanuts in my mouth because I hadn't eaten for a while, so excuse the, ju- the chewing. You, you're fine. You're totally fine. But th- thank you, Michael, for being here today. Excited to get into this conversation with you. Yes. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me, Paris. It of means course. a lot. Of I've course. never been on a podcast before. Uh, I've well, been on for my marketing stuff a few years ago. I was on a couple, but they never aired. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this one is, so we're going to make this happen and it is wow. get out there. So first time, first time for everything. So, you know, let's, let's just dive right into it. So I know when we first connected, you told me that your main job is currently in doing PR outreach. So how yeah. did you transition from that, from that to having an interest for reporting on mental health related topics? Um, I had a personal experience in a hospital, a couple hospitals when I was 20, about 15 years ago. And um, um, two years ago, you know, I had never written about it. I was like, like you said, I was in marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, um, two years ago, I, I had a PR client who wrote a book about bipolar disorder. And as I was, I was researching bipolar disorder for my PR outreach to like write a better pitch to the journalist, I stumbled on um, a website called Mad in America, madinamerica.com. And it's a community of people who've had a lot of the people in the community have had negative experiences in psychiatric facilities, just like me. And it was the first time I had heard about that or read about other people having bad experiences. Believe it or not, in 15 years, I hadn't heard about anyone else having a bad experience that I can remember. Maybe like a couple movies, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but that was it. So I thought, wow, this uh, sort of validates my experience or um, at least confirms some of my suspicions that there's something wrong with the larger mental, you know, psychiatric or mental health field in America. And so I decided over the course of the next few months, this is, I'm going to write about my experience to share with other people at maybe it's not happening anymore. I don't know, mm-hmm. but, um, it's clearly happened before yeah. based on all these accounts I've read. These people do not sound like they're lying. So I felt like I could write about my experience to at least make them feel better and, and help them feel validated and maybe, you know, maybe have a larger impact where people who like me didn't know that there were people out there like us and mm-hmm. they'll see my story and say, wow, like, I, now I'm, I want to speak up because I was mistreated. Yeah. So, you know, it was, so when you mentioned that the moment when you found Mad in America, so when you found Mad in America, is that the moment when you decided to get involved with mental health reporting or if it's not, you know, kind of 
what was that defining moment for you when you were like, I want to, this is what I want to do. I want to work, you know, cause I know you said you mainly worked in PR and you kind of are yeah. doing the mental health reporting as well. So um, if you could, you know, what, what was that moment where, when it just kind of like hit you where you were like, this is what I want to do. I want to talk about my experience and, you know. Well, it was, yeah. So like I, I, I saw, I'm found man in America. Um, actually, um, and I wasn't sure I was going to write at, at, at mm. that moment. And it took a month or two where I was doing marketing for them and PR for Mad America for free because I knew that it was an important mission that they had. So I had, um, there was an article they wanted me to, they said, you know, one of the people at the, at the website said, you know, this, here's this article. It was by the founder of the website, Robert Whitaker. And the article was about um, suicides, uh, mm -hmm. suicides in the suicide and antidepressants and the link between suicide and antidepressants it, it, just to judging whether the antidepressants really had the positive impact on preventing suicide that that pharmaceutical companies and psychiatry had said they had um and it was a really long article and it, it took me like seven hours to read it, even though it was like should have only taken me one hour and it yeah. was like just talked about pharmaceutical corruption covering up suicides in trials for zola uh prozac um, pharmaceutical companies stacking the boards of nonprofit uh, charities, uh, raising awareness about suicide. They would be filled with executives from pharmaceutical companies uh, to help promote, um, raise awareness, not just of suicide, but of drugs treating suicide. And then it looked at studies showing that suicide rates had actually gone up in the last 10, 20, year, 20 years um, at the same time as antidepressant prescriptions have gone up. And it looked really closely at the numbers and, and it really made a good case that antidepressants haven't had the impact, a positive impact. Maybe they've had a, no impact, but, you know, maybe they haven't had a negative impact, but, you know, they looked at a veterans affairs study of, of veterans, war vets who were more likely to commit suicide after getting psychiatric treatment compared to veterans who, who didn't get psychiatric treatment. Um, even when they both had psychiatric issues. And, and then at the last bottom of the article, there was a little sentence or a paragraph about how, you know, we need to also respect people who've had bad experiences in hospitals who've been forced in. And, and you know, maybe there's a better way to preserve people's autonomy, their respect, self-respect and dignity than forcing them into treatment, a mm -hmm. conventional treatment at least. And that was, that hit me like really hard. And I thought the whole article did, especially that line, I thought, oh, now, this is, this is a really big story. You know, the, the pharmaceutical corruption really bothered me. Um, mm -hmm. the, the possibility that that was widespread and I had ex bad, horrible experiences with the drugs they put me on. They were just, and they were, there was like an obsession among the doctors to give me these drugs. And, and it just sort of confirmed some suspicions of mine. I thought I got to share my story now. It was mm -hmm. that, it was that article suicide wow. in the age of Prozac. That's the name of the article. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, what, what has your experience been like so far in your role as working as a mental health reporter? Like talk a little, tell me a little bit about that. Cause I really want to hear. About. Sure. Yeah. Um, my experience as a mental health reporter. Um, so it's been really interesting. I, like really exciting to be honest. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, um, you know, I, I did like a, a lot of different stories, like seven stories. I'm hoping to get a, a, like a conversation Q and a type article published, which mm -hmm. would be my seventh story, I think. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, um, immediately when I decided, almost immediately when I decided to start writing and reporting, I, I wanted to, didn't, I didn't want this to be some type of vendetta against 
my what happened to me in the hospital against the people who did it did that to me mm-hmm. what I felt did wrong to me I wanted it to be something um like legitimate and something truthful and I thought oh well I want to be a journalist I don't necessarily want to be an advocate I don't I don't want to be an advocate I want to be a journalist like I want to I, I just I wanted to find the truth Mm-hmm. And so I just decided to be learn journalism. So I read a you know five to ten books about journalism, te- like college textbooks and uh, biographies by journalists. And I went to journalism networking groups. I interviewed journalists. Um, I and then I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I interviewed and interviewed and interviewed. And I looked up tips for how to conduct interviews the proper way, how to avoid being biased. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read the biography of Seymour Hersh, who is the journalist who uncovered the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam and a, bio- a book about um, a New Yorker reporter about how to interview people, um, a couple of books about how to do investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed a Pulitzer Prize winner and I got to know a New York Times reporter. And um, I, I just, um, and I would watch movies like All the President's Men and Spotlight about journalism. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and I just wrote, so like I had one big story last year, it took me three months to write. I wrote it, co-wrote it with uh, Robert Whitaker, who, who is a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. He was the founder of Man America. And I just, my approach was that this is going to be journalism school for me. I'm going to just throw myself into this responsibly. Yeah. And I, so I interviewed for that story, I interviewed 65, somewhere around 65 people. You know, one, one of the interviews was like five hours long, three hours, three to five hours long with, um, the mom of one of the people, the, the person involved in the story. And I did, you know, I got a lot of documents uh, sent mm-hmm. to me by her and I got like the, the four open records request um, done for me, the local town where the, the, the main port person in the story was from, they sent me open, you know, I got the salary of the doctor who was involved. And um, I, um, you know, I would, I usually did everything for my apartment. I didn't go around much. I, I thought about flying out to where the story occurred in Wisconsin, but I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes I would go around and, and meet people for coffee. Um, and um, but it was a lot of interviewing. It was a lot of talking to people and um, r- a lot of writing, a lot of research, interviews mm-hmm. with people who were on the other side of the story who weren't happy to talk to me. Some some of the interviews got. Um, really awkward and intense Mm -hmm. I got emotional um I had you see that 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 article uh was like just an extremely it was a very exciting experience which article which article was that that was called it was a two-part article the first part was called um the case against AOT Mm -hmm. Kendra Kendra's law 20 years later and then the second part of that article was called Andrew Rich um, I, 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 I didn't know this kind of stuff could happen or something like that. Mm-hmm. The article names were a little bit, um, interesting, clunky. What does the, of, what does the AOT, uh, part stand for? In assisted, the... assisted outpatient treatment. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. yeah, so you, so the first, I know you were, I know you also mentioned to me before you did this, uh, story that I thought was really cool. And this is kind of how I learned about you through my friend who, you know, told me about this project that you were working on. And I'd love to hear you talk about that piece that you've been working on where you interviewed, um, you know, around 85 homeless 
individuals to learn about their life experiences and possible relationship to mental illness. So what has been the biggest thing that you found from working on that project? Yeah, um, the homeless, talking to the homeless people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that that started about three months ago. And um, I, um, is it, I'll go back to like how I got into that. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I, I had heard since I started working on all this um, uh, two years ago, you know, something that people, you know, basically I'm writing about my own negative experience and the mistreatment, other people who found that they've been mistreated, believe they've been mistreated in psychiatric facilities. And the counter, when you bring this up and you, you know, if you want to file a lawsuit or if you want to, you know, write a blog about it or say that the treatment in hospitals is wrong and, you argue there needs to be better protection, civil rights protections for people in psychiatric hospitals. There's a counter counter argument some people make, especially the the most intense critics, uh, advocates for like forced treatment and and making sure people get treated even against their will in hospitals. They say that homeless people, a lot of, without proper treatment, people become homeless because of their mental illness. And Mm -hmm. um, they'll say, they do say that a lot of people on the streets, a large percentage, significant percentage have mental illness. That's why they're there because it's untreated. So, I wanted to really learn that better, see if it's true, how true it is that uh, people who are homeless are homeless because they're not getting forced, they're not getting treatment inside psychiatric facilities. Mm. And um, so um, I decided I was going to interview them. Um, I, I, yeah, I just started interviewing them. I first started giving them money, like a couple bucks. I just thought there's no way they're going to talk to me unless I give them money. Um, And then I sort of, you know, as a journalist, you're not really supposed to pay people uh, for interviews. So I started to figure out ways to, to not pay them or wait till after the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, because you do want to give them money, you want to help them, they're in desperate situations. So that was a challenge. But anyway, I've interviewed about 85 people in Midtown Manhattan and Los Angeles. And, you know, there's certainly people I can interview or refuse to interview, or while I'm interviewing them, it's clear they're just psychotic something close to psychotic or mm-hmm. very seriously mentally impaired. I would say that's the word, not psychotic, but very mentally impaired. I mean, there's a man walking down the streets of Hollywood Boulevard with no pants with, mm. you know, yeah. um, so that's a guy who, you know, you know, I didn't even bother obviously going up to him. I it would have been risky. So there's another woman who was screaming, violently screaming, I would say, you know, and, and then there's people who I have tried where I'll say, can I talk to you? And they'll be talking to someone else that's mm-hmm. not there while I'm talking to them. Um, you know, those are, there's, I would say it's a, a minority of people, but there's certainly those that, that, that's a, a segment who are clearly mentally impaired, but I don't know what, you know, I don't know what their backstory is because they, mm-hmm. they don't talk to me. So I can't say for sure what the issue is. The majority of people are not like that. And I talk to, and of those that agree to talk to me, um, something like 80, 90% seem I don't know, maybe 70% seemed fine. And so I talked to them and what I learned is that almost 100% of them had stories to tell, detailed stories that sounded real and honest and truthful about traumatic childhoods. Mm. Sometimes traumatic, you know, teenage teenage years or or in their adulthoods, but usually it was traumatic, severely traumatic, I would say, Mm. uh, childhoods. And, and then like a large segment of them, you know, 30 to 50% also had diagnosis of mental illness. And a lot of those were serious mental illness, like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
it didn't seem like the serious mental illness or the mental illness was the cause of their homelessness. That's not what I walked away thinking. Mm-hmm. I walked away thinking the cause of their homelessness was uh, growing up in extremely difficult, adverse uh, environments and not having support from other people, not having a community, not having loved, uh, fa- not having a, a good family, a close-knit family. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I walked away thinking. And I thought that the mental illness was uh, like almost unrelated uh, you know, there were a couple times where I wouldn't say unrelated, but it didn't seem it seemed like an ancillary uh, consequence, like mm-hmm. not the primary consequence or not the primary cause of the homelessness. There's two women who were related to each other. Both of them got very had very traumatic childhoods. One was raped repeatedly by family members or as child children. And at, around age 12, this all happened. And then at age, at age 12, both of them got diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And they couldn't clearly describe to me the symptoms that, that they were experiencing from schizophrenia. Meanwhile, they're totally coherent, charming. Um, their stories were really layered, you know, made sense. And like, you know, the idea that, that getting them into a psychiatric hospital is the difference between, you know, homelessness or not seems ridiculous, especially considering the treatment that occurs in psych hospitals. It's, you know, it's even historically, it was, uh, not not very high quality treatment custodial yeah. or and so I walked I walked away thinking you know I had another experience um that that's interesting it was a guy on the street screaming and I walked up to him and I I said what why are you doing this you know it appears you know you you do seem like you might be something might be wrong here and I said why are you screaming and he said um I'm ventilating and he meant I'm venting you know mm-hmm. and um he told me and we stopped and I was with a couple of my friends and he said, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I, I asked if he was homeless. He said he wasn't. And, and I asked him for his like life story. I asked him if he had a mental illness diagnosis. He said, yeah, he'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia at age 12 and put in Haldol, a antipsychotic. And mm-hmm. I said, why? And he said, I was running down the street screaming. And he said he was running down the street screaming because he had just been raped by his mom's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I said, is that true? Were you, being acting crazy or were you telling the truth? And he said, no, I wasn't, it wasn't crazy. I wasn't crazy. I, it was true. He looked me straight in the eye. He was totally coherent. It was a completely like normal conversation. Mm-hmm. He wasn't out of his mind. He was screaming. Maybe I'm sure maybe he did have mental health issues, but the connection between, you know, the cause of his, his struggles didn't, I would have said maybe it was the, the abuse as a child. And, you know, like you could see how maybe he wasn't really schizophrenic because he was yeah. screaming because, and it was really poignant because, um, you know, I was sure he was, something was wrong with him screaming to no one in the middle of the street, screaming yeah. at the cars. I was sure this guy, I had a bunch of times where that happened, where I was sure this person was really mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. And then I would talk to them and they would be totally lucid and have mm-hmm. a really good explanation for the circumstances. That, yeah. And um, in those situations, you know, you, it, it makes me think, well, maybe we're overstating this issue of how, how, how much mental illness causes homelessness. Mm. Was that surprising uh, when you learned that, when you found that out? Because I know you said initially when you went in to, to do the interviews, you were trying to look for the link between uh, homelessness and mental illness, but then you found the majority of the people that you spoke to and had conversations with talk more about trauma than the yeah. mental illness. Was that surprising? Like, was that a surprising finding that you found from from working on this? Um, not entirely. I, I am skeptical of this explanation. 
mm -hmm. uh, mental illness causing homelessness. I've seen some data that shows that it's overstated, um, but it was, it wasn't shocking, but it was surprising the extent, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I, I was in Hollywood Boulevard last two weeks ago and there was a man holding a sign that he said he could give penis massages. And I walked by him and he gave me a, a look in the eye, like a weird look, like an awkward, he smiled. And I was, I think I was thinking this, that, that man is probably something's not right there. Mm -hmm. And I kept walking, got food, came back and I passed him again. And then I thought, you know, I got to just try to talk to him. I went back and it was completely normal conversation. Wow. The guy had two, two signs, two, a sign had messages on both sides. This message on the other side was a little more detailed and I, he can, you know, it wasn't just about, it was less graphic and people were coming up to him, giving him money, taking pictures with him for the sign. The sign was working for him. Mm -hmm. It was getting him money and a, a really beautiful woman walked by and he, she said hi to him and was talking to him. He knew her. He, he was talking to me about his life story. It was again, another story of really pretty terrible abuse mm -hmm. and he'd been neglected. He never got the attention he wanted. That's why he was on the street doing this. He said he would sell water on the street, but he knew the city would shut him down. And it was, you know, I was really surprised. Like wow. this guy had a completely normal, a completely coherent, logical story for why he was acting the way he was. He wasn't severely mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Or you could say he was. He had a diagnosis. He'd been mm -hmm. diagnosed as bipolar. He'd gotten locked up in a hospital when he was a kid. So you could say he was severely mentally ill. But the idea that that was the cause of his circumstances, that he needs medicine mm -hmm. and treatment in a psych hospital, and that would fix, you know, fix his life problems is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it's pretty patently bizarre to, you know, you're ignoring the awful circumstances he had as a child. Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go into a psych hospital and that would cure the trauma we experienced? But mm -hmm. I, I think that's, you know... I could be wrong. Maybe psych hospitals do offer that. Maybe we need to lock people up or figure out a way to get more people in psych hospitals. That yeah. fix it. I could, it could be, but I doubt it. I doubt that that was that man's <laughs> issue. Yeah. So when, yeah. So when you bring up um, uh, mental hospitals, I would love to hear you. Cause I know uh, when we talked, you talked to me about, you know, the work that you've done studying various mental hospitals and the practices conducted there. So um, what inspired you to write, to write about that? Um, well, that was, um, I mean, sort of, like I said, I, I had an experience 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I obviously I already explained like the finding man in America. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I guess, I'll, uh, the, the original inspiration was my own experience 15 mm -hmm. years ago. And that was, you know, I was, I was in college, uh, I was in a fraternity and I had, so I'm working on a book about this. So I, 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 there's a lot of sensitive, um, details that I don't want to give, go into every detail, but I also mm -hmm. don't want to hide every, hide it either. Or, um, so co cover it up. So basically I was, I was committed to two psychiatric hospitals 15 years ago. Um, and, um, it made the first hospitalization made a little bit of sense. I was manic and I did have racing thoughts. Um, though, you know, I can't say the thoughts were that bizarre, mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, that my behavior was that bizarre, but, um, certainly I was manic. I it was, my parents were worried. My sister was worried. My mm -hmm. friends were worried. And so that ended up me being a week in the hospital. I got out. I didn't really, I remember thinking like I, I went out with friends that after that over the ne next nine days. And I don't remember thinking like, this is something that I need to write about or mm -hmm. anything. It was just like, I had 
I was in a fraternity with guys who like one of my friends jumped out of a, an apartment building on the third floor and punctured mm-hmm. his lung. I had a friend who fell asleep in a tree high up and I had friend. we always had just absurd stories happening in our fraternity. Everyone was doing yeah. the dumbest thing. So one week in a psych hospital didn't, I actually mm-hmm. sort of thought it was like a badge of honor. Um, and then I ended up in another one and, and that made no sense. I mean, it made, it had a small thread of, of, of logic to it, but it really was bizarre. Um, it, and I had to go to great lengths to uncover exactly how it happened recently with, you know, getting a lawyer involved to get my records. And, and that's, you know, details I don't want to go over right now because they're, they're sensitive, yeah. but, but um, it was it, so weird. Uh, yeah. I don't, I maybe it was, I would say traumatic, but more than that, it just didn't make sense. And that's sort of what I, I was thinking this, this is a story needs, needs to be written about. But again, it took me 15 years because there was no one to talk to about it. I couldn't bring it up because when you say I was locked up wrongly in a hospital, it, it's, it doesn't work as like a way to start a conversation. Like mm-hmm. people just. Because of the stigma or be, or. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the stigma. I don't even know. I, yeah. The stigma is something, something deeper than stigma. It's mm-hmm. when you say that, you know, a, a doctor found you to be clinically insane Mm-hmm. And you say, no, I w- the doctor's wrong. It's like mm-hmm. pe- people have, there's studies. So I've looked into this too. So there's some studies that have shown, and there's a, a whole body of research showing that, you know, once you're labeled as unwell, people just don't really believe what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you can be called crazy. It's fine. But if you have that patina of uh, a medical doctor saying you're unwell, it's something different. It's like, mm-hmm it's like impossible to cut through that um, and, and, and get people to believe you. So like there was a study in the sixties that they interviewed a group of people. They played a recording of a, a guy who sounded really normal describing his life. And they said, you know, is he psychotic and neurotic? Or is he totally normal? And every, everyone said he's totally normal or 90% of the people. And then uh-huh. they played the recording again, but they told everyone that the man had just been diagnosed as psychotic by a doctor. And suddenly everyone said, oh, this guy's psychotic. Or like they, a lot of them said they were psychotic, that he was psychotic. And the guy was the same guy that everyone said was normal before he was labeled psychotic. Um, and, you know, there's, there's people who've done research and say like, you know, there's, you, um, I just was reading a book yesterday and they've done studies. When you label someone as being mentally ill because of genetic causes, you're much more likely to think there's, to stay away from him and think he's dangerous even when he's behave when the behavior has been read back as completely normal but if they yeah. say oh this is a genetic but mentally ill person then you're just going to stay away mm-hmm. so i mean i guess that's why I, I, I for 15 years i just there was no one to talk i told like five people about what happened yeah so i know you mentioned you know that you're still in the process of working on the book and you're you're still uh yeah. working on that writing it so um if so, you know, what is the uh, like primary connection between the your story, uh, your story that you're telling in your book, and kind of the work that you're doing now, the work that you're doing now? Uh, as, yeah, yeah. Um, so the the connection is, I uh, would describe. So I, as I said, I was mistreated quite. I believe I was mistreated really quite badly in the mm-hmm. hospital, and I'm writing now about people who believe that they were mistreated mm-hmm. um, in hospitals. So. Yeah, I mean, um, I can, like, 
I, I can give you like more examples of what I found now. So, um, like, I guess something that's interesting is um, trend, most recent work. Um, there was, um, well, I, I start from the beginning. The first thing I did after I was inspired to start writing last year, two years ago, was I did a survey of people who, who said that they were in psychiatric hospitals. I surveyed people from the Madden America community, uh, from Facebook, and from Reddit. And uh, we found that um, it was something like 70% said they had bad experiences. Actually, 66% said they had a traumatic experience from the hospital. 32% mm -hmm. said the hospital saved their life. So a large percentage said it was life-saving. Mm -hmm. I do think those are the people who were voluntarily in there. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I have to check that date. I'm not 100% sure how, how much of the overlap is, but clearly there was a, large, a larger percentage that had traumatic experiences. Yeah. And they left comments too. So it wasn't just like, yes or no, I had a traumatic experience. Yes, they checked yes. They actually wrote comments. 250 people wrote comments, uh, like, a, like a large percentage. And the comments were heartbreaking and I left mm -hmm. them on there. And it was just like, you know, people saying that like they, 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 um, they're so angry. They're furious about what they were done, that what was done, they, they pondered suicide after. A few people said they pondered suicide. Mm -hmm. Someone said they'd rather die than go back. Uh, someone said, my God, what did the things that go on there? And I called like 20, 30 of these people to, to hear their stories and they were mm -hmm. totally sounded fine. They sounded coherent and they, it was believable. Like they, they believe they were horribly mis uh, abused and this mm -hmm. has been corroborated by other reports and studies on this subject yeah. uh, by psychiatrists. So that was like the first, um, you know, evidence that I collected that this is uh, more widespread than, than I think is reported. Yeah. Um, and I got to know people through that. Um, there is one man who would email me regularly. Um, Zet, uh, can't believe I forgot his name, but um, he, um, he, he would email me regularly. And um, Zell, his name was Zell. Mm -hmm. uh, and he would email me regularly saying, you know, I've been mistreated in psych hospitals for his whole life. He was in his sixties and, you know, he was really sad about it, heartbroken. And he wanted to try to change things, but he was also very picky about what he would work on. He, he was a little bit demanding and, and would email me a lot. And it was a little bit much, but I felt really bad for him. I believed him in the way, the stories he told about yeah. the abuse and he would email me and, and then he started talking about taking his own life and um, he eventually did. And, um, wow. and uh, my boss wrote a, a story about it. Uh, you know, Robert Whitaker wrote a story about it. Mm -hmm. And I, he, he mentioned me briefly in the story. And it, it's just about how Zell had, you know, talked repeatedly about the mistreatment that he experienced. And it was never, no one really took him seriously. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the pain it had caused, the pain the medication caused, I think there were permanent side effects that it, it left him with. And he felt no way out, no way, wow. way out other than to take his own life. And um, that was one of those examples of a story that was like very, um, like very sad. And, and I think shows, it was just one story. I mean, but you know, it was yeah. a really heartbreaking wow. story. Wow. Well, I think, I think the work that you're doing with, you know, going into these hospitals and doing that is very important because I feel like you know, that's something that, you know, I have in common with you as well as I was hospitalized and I was inside a hospital and the things that I saw, you know, there were things that I witnessed there that, 
you know, shouldn't be happening or shouldn't be going on. And I feel like it's important to, you know, do work like that and bring awareness to this. Cause I feel like so many people don't really know what happens mm-hmm. inside hospitals. They think, okay, you know, cause my thought and my perception before I went into a psychiatric hospital, I thought, you know, okay, you know, if I go to a place like this, I'm going to come out and be great. You know, I'm going to be better. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be, you know, it's because, because that's what you kind of think going into a place like that, that you, you get treatment, you get some kind of, um, you know, rehabilitation or something to make you feel better when you, when you leave, you know, you feel better coming out than you did going in. And, you know, my experience, you know, I needed to be there. I really did. But, you know, coming out, I didn't, I felt worse than I did going in. And, you know, I feel like that's important for you. And that's what really why I think I connected with you so deeply is because of the work that you're doing with this reporting and, and, you know, writing your own story and kind of bringing light to that in, in light with the stuff that you're doing with the conversations you've had with other people related to mental health, mental illness, and all of that, because, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't think enough people really know what goes on and not to like, you know, not to really sit here and bash like all, you know, all hospitals, like everything that happens is like bad and not good, but you know, for the, for the most part to kind of really portray, you know, the experiences that, that you've had and that other people have had who have been inside of these facilities and, you know, kind of just tell their stories, right? Tell their stories, what, what happened and what went on. And just so other people have a better understanding and kind of to continue to bring attention to this to hopefully, you know, reform certain aspects of different things. And I feel like that's ultimately like like the goal, right? Is you want to, you know, talk about these things so people can learn about it and understand it. Because if, if people don't know, or they don't understand it, you know, no one's going to really, yeah see the point of why are we going to talk about this or why are we going to fix this? So, yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I'm really happy that, you know, we connected and, you know, that, that Richard like sent me your, sent me your name, your information, and we got to talk and I got to hear a little bit about, you know, the work that you're doing and the awesome stuff you're doing, going out and having these conversations and doing this because, you know, it is, it is important and it is necessary and people do, you know, need to understand and learn about these things because it affects, you know, people on all kinds of different levels. So, you know, I just, I really want to just thank you, you know, for your time sure. today and being able to connect and being able to actually put this together and, you know, have this conversation with me and really share, you know, all the things that you did today. So thanks a lot. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I, it means a lot that you, you wanted like to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course it is. Because, you know, when I heard about the work that you're doing with the reporting and kind of your story and writing your book and kind of, because that's kind of very similar to, you know, what I'm doing, because I, I know, I don't know if I mentioned, but I was, I've wor- been working on a book and that's oh, really? called Crooked Illness, which is the name of uh, the podcast. And right. I'm not done with it. Like, you know, like ha- kind of how you are, you're not done with yours. I'm still, I'm still kind of, yeah. you know, I have it, I'm working on it, but you know, that's why I really connected. Cause I was like, wow, like he's, you know, like, this is great. So I'm like, I want to, I want to yeah. talk to him, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, you know, thank you so much, Michael, for making this happen. And I'm excited sure. to put this out there and uh, post this episode. Great. Oh, thanks <laughs> for having me again. Yes, of course. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that is the end of this episode. 
I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed creating it. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to talk about becoming a guest or to share your thoughts on this episode with me, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email to crookedillness at gmail.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram at crookedillness, or you can message me on my Facebook page at crookedillness as well. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening to Crooked Illness.